as I sing that song, that's going to be kind of our, we're the second week of a series called Lost and Found. And that song, Lost and Found, is kind of our theme song for the next few weeks. We'll hear different renditions of it uh, throughout the month. But it's really, um, the words of that song are, are taken from Jesus' words when he's referring back to John the Baptist. Tell John that the lost are found, that the blind will see, that the lame will walk, and the dead will live again. Do you hear those words? I mean, can you just incorporate that in to think about what that really means? What it meant to Jesus in talking to John the Baptist was all the prophecies are fulfilled. The prophecies in Isaiah, actually this is a prophecy that just blew my mind when I found this out. This prophecy of the lost are found, going down, I'm not going to keep on repeating it over and over again, but this whole the, the blind will see and the dead will, will live again. These prophecies are found in Isaiah. And only for us, for 2,000 years, we only had half those prophecies in Isaiah. But Jesus was talking about all these other ones. For thousands of years, scholars were perplexed. Why does Jesus keep on talking about this stuff? And then a little boy, chasing some sheep, finds the Dead Sea Scrolls. The greatest Indiana Jones moment in the history of mankind. He's chasing a sheep, throws a rock, hears a tsh, crawls back there, what did I break? Mom's going to kill me. And finds the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are these ancient scripture documents, all in these jars, protected uh, from the elements for thousands of years. When they open the book of Isaiah, there it reads, I'm talking about the Messiah, the dead will rise, the lame will walk. The blind will see and the lost will be found. It's amazing that for 2,000 years, this prophecy we didn't even know was there, Jesus is like, I got that. And that just blows my mind the more and more I think about it, how, how God has detailed all those things. And in the very conversations he had with John the Baptist, or with John the Baptist's disciples, he's fulfilling these prophecies over prophecies or prophecies. But these words that the lost will be found... And if you've ever been lost, or you ever felt lost, or ever experienced losing someone, the idea of being found is very, very good. Right? Even in a world of GPS, the GPS can tell you exactly where you are, but you are lost. See, there's a, I moved from Georgia eight months ago. And um, one of the things I love about Indiana and uh, Illinois is we're on the grid system. If you get lost, make three right turns or three left turns. Hey, you're back. Try doing that in Georgia. You'll be in Mississippi. Okay? It doesn't work that way because Georgia people, when they decided to make streets and maps, they took a plate of spaghetti threw it on the ground and said, that's going to be the road system. Okay? So that, that's what happened there. I think it actually has to do with how old uh, Georgia's road system is, and, they, they just, and the hills and the rivers kind of mess things up. They have hills. That's an elevation of... <laughs> just, just informing is part of what I do. Um, so, uh, but anyway... It's really difficult, and for the first four or five years living there, 
lived there for almost 10 years. In the first four or five years there, I would get lost all the time. And I would try, well, turn right. Well, turn right again, turn right. I'm stuck in a subdivision. This makes no sense. And it's, it's just, it doesn't work that way there for some reason. And so you could know exactly where you were. I know I am right here. I have no idea how to get where I want. You couldn't just take the next right and say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do a U-turn or turn around. It just didn't work that way. And the frustration in that, right? Is there, there any more frustration? Here, as a, when I was a youth pastor, this is what's more frustrating than just doing that by yourself. When you have a church van full of 15 kids, junior high kids that usually smell, uh, and if you've ever volunteered with teenagers... That's a reality. And so there they are. And they're not paying attention. They're on their cell phones. They're on, you know, playing, doing whatever, talking, gossiping, writing love letters to each other, whatever it is. They're not paying attention. But the moment you do a U-turn, the moment they sense fear of he doesn't know where he's at, they pounce on you like you're a stake to a lion. And it is ridiculous. And the anxiety level goes up. And the, oh, I don't know, I got all these kids screaming. And you're like, shut up in Jesus' name. And, you know, and <laughs> things, things you don't know that should be coming out of your mouth are coming out of your mouth. And you're like, oh, I'm telling my mom. And it's just bad. And there's the real story of why I'm your pastor now. No. Um, <laughs> this idea of being lost, It's petrifying. Anybody like the Bear Grylls, Survivor Man stuff, where they like intentionally throw you into the worst possible situation? And he's like, oh, I got this. I would be, I would just sit down and like, okay, let's try to find a squirrel to gnaw on, but that's all I can do. You know, I'm going to find water and I'm just not moving. We're just going to be stuck. And these guys are doing silly things out in the desert or in the snow or wherever. And it, that doesn't phase them. But for the average person... Being lost is, is one of those top fears. And we experience lostness, I think on multi-levels. Location lostness, right? We experience just not knowing where we're at. But I think that not knowing where we're at... I got my collar too tight. Ah, there we go. Now I can breathe and it won't come off my ear. Sorry about that, folks. Okay. I think we do that with our spirituality, and we do that with emotions, and we do that with our relationships. We go through the world, and we're like, I am just lost. I can't find what Probably these kids, when they get a little older, one of the things they're going to find is how to navigate out of being lost. Use a compass. How do I get there from here? Because that's important. They can learn how to use a compass all they want, but if they can learn how to navigate from the lostness of their emotions and their spirituality, that is the far greater win. Some of us are 80 years old and we still struggle with our lostness. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to tackle those kind of situations. And today, um, I really want to delve into that. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 15. The point that's, that's tying this whole, actually it's just a question, that's tying this message together and what we're going to delve into in Luke 15 is, who is worse off? The person who knows they are lost and are looking for answers, or the person who is lost and think they are found? 
That's the question I've been asking myself as I studied the scripture all week long, because that's what's going on here in Luke 15. Who is worse off, the person that knows they're lost or the person that thinks they're found? Now the tax collector and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I've got a few prime people going on here. The tax collectors. Who are the tax collectors? What are tax collectors? What does that look like? Well, tax collectors, if you will, if you've ever... Don't admit this in church, okay? But if you've ever watched The Sopranos or Godfather or Goodfellas or anything like that, that's a tax collector, okay? They are basically extortion racketeer type guys. They're not the most savory of characters. They're not who you invite you know, home to meet mama. Okay, these are, these are rough individuals because their whole job, how tax collecting worked is, let's say that the tax rate that Rome tells this tax collector is to go collect 10%. Okay, whatever you charge, you're going to get paid, but if you charge a little bit more, you can keep that too. We're not going to hunt you down. Take a little, little more off the top for yourself. So tax collector goes out and says, Adam, you owe me 12%. Sounds like a pretty good deal for me. Right? Now, I could be an honest tax collector and say, Adam, give me 10%. My stipend from Rome is enough. Because a lot of people do that, right? The, you know, what I just get is enough. Um, uh, but... They come up to you and I'll just take 10%. Now you have no idea because I'm going, give me 150 bucks, 180, whatever that number is. And you're thinking, I have no idea if this guy is pulling the wool over my eyes, what I'm supposed to pay, or if he's, if he's making extra money on it. That, see where the, the angst in that is? So everyone took advantage of the situation because what the first thing you do when you start extorting money from people is you hire the biggest, strongest gruffest dude you can to help you extort the money. Zacchaeus may be a wee little man, but Bruno and Sven were huge, right? <laughs> and, so, and so what's going on there is they're, they're, um, these tax collectors are, are, are really just symbols of Rome's authority because what they've done is they've turned a Jewish man, someone who should have been loyal to, Jew, to the Jews and to the Israeli state, and they said, listen, I want you to go collect these taxes and the greed, and they're like, I can make some serious money. Because this whole catch and fish thing, or this whole sitting here chasing sheep over the hillside is not cutting it. And so they sell out the very person of who they are and their very country and their community to go make extra money. Does that make sense? Are we, we tracking on the tax collectors here? And now the other people in there, the people of ill repute or whatnot, if you're going that, just think about who follows mob bosses around? What kind of women does that bring around? Where's the Sopranos main place taken? You're like, our pastor knows way too much about the Sopranos. Um, what, what, you know, where does that take place? What's going on? These are the people that are attracted to the tax collectors and the, because the tax collectors have all the money. They can have the fun. They can have the parties. They can do all these things. Does this make sense? These are the very people that Jesus is going to talk to. Now think about that, a rabbi, a person with all this influence, a person that's supposed to be above all this nastiness, is going into the heart of darkness. He's going into the, he's going into the worst places he can think about. 
And so what happens is the legalistic Pharisees go, well, what's he doing there? Is he taking part in these things? What's happening? What's going on? And so just not the Pharisees, who are kind of our, our legalists, our um, hypervigilant. I, everyone gives the Pharisees really, um, really a bad rap. What their, their main aim in the truest form is, is nice. They want to have a pure heart before God. They want that. But they're so consumed with the idea of having a pure heart before God that they build walls and walls and walls and walls and walls and walls around that they can't ever get close to the heart of God. They just keep on, keep on pushing themselves farther and farther away and pushing other people farther and farther away. See, so the Pharisees want to be kind of legalists in themselves and say, okay, here's the law of the land and I'm a law of God and I'm, only, I'm never going to get there. I'm going to build rings around it. The problem happens is when they try to put those rings around people who don't even believe in God. There's a rub there. There's a bump there. There's a rub. There's just... That doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. If you haven't fallen in love with God, you have no idea why you would be doing these things in the first place. Why would I live a righteous life if I haven't come in contact with righteousness itself? And the Pharisees miss that. But their aim is... Is, is to try to have a better relationship with God, but out of that, they have, they have morphed it into something else. So that's one of the other players that we have going on here in the Scripture. Next person is the scribes. The scribes are very interesting. They are uh, law makers, and they are law abiders and law keepers. And so what's going on there is the Pharisees are saying, all right, all right, all right we're going to bring Bob with us, and Bob knows it all. So Bob, oh, he's just said that. Bob, we good? Yeah, Jesus is okay in that. Bob, are we still good? Yeah, we're okay. Bob, did he touch that? He's, he's okay. You see, he's the, Bob is the gotcha guy. Bob is the guy that you're like, oh, I'm telling. He didn't do it right because Bob works for the Sanhedrin, the ruling class, the religious elite. Bob works there, and so Bob can say, hey, uh, this Jesus guy needs to be stoned or beat or whatever. So you understand this environment that's going on. You have this party of these mobsters with all of that which that entails, and then you have some legalism guys going, is he okay? Did he touch that? Did he wash his hands right? Did he do this? Did he do that? Did he do is that pork? I don't, and just going on and on and on and on and on. And then they're whispering and gossiping among themselves. And what happens? This man's welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see the problem with this, the issues with this. The word sinners means to miss the mark. To be errant. And so they're saying these guys with their whole lives have missed the mark. And Jesus takes the sentence and starts to think, I don't think they're the only ones that have missed the mark in this conversation. And so what he does in this environment to teach both the tax collectors and everybody that surrounds them and the Pharisees and the scribes and everybody that surrounds them, he starts telling stories. He doesn't go deep back into the old Leviticus stuff to speak to the scribes and tell them how they're wrong. Instead, what's going on? Instead, he tells stories. And so I want to show you a modern-day parable, a modern-day story, and who does it better but Disney. So Disney's going to help us with this idea of to miss the mark and to be errant. If you've ever seen the movie Brave, you know what I'm talking about, and you'll enjoy this clip. If you haven't seen Brave, it's a cute, cute story, and um, you probably red box it after church today. So, Kevin, if you'd help me out with that movie, please. 
He was tossing cabers. Or holding up bridges. <laughs> At least you hit the target, sir. Oh, that's attractive. <laughs> I got Good arm. And such lovely flowing locks. Fergus. Now, in my extrapolation, the suitors, the guys, they're, they're all shooting for the right to marry Merida, who looks like a little bit of a handful. Yep. <laughs> hey, whoever's teaching that boy in trail life, his work is done. <laughs> so, um, we have this, these guys are just missing the mark, right? They're just, they're not doing what needs to be done well. But then there's Merida, who's drilling the mark, who's hitting it every time, who can split the arrow. But in reality, she's missing the mark as well, isn't she? Her pride and her anger has totally taken, taken control of her. And it's been, it's just 
totally messing up uh, everything, the relationship between her and her mom and her and her dad. and It's going to ruin relationships with these tribes that they've got going on. And I won't ruin the rest of the story for you, but it takes a whole another hour and 30 minutes for those, just an hour and 30 minutes, for those uh, relationships to be restored and what's going on there. But at the end of the day, she realizes she was missing the mark just as much as these guys are aiming every which way. I think here in this story, the tax collectors are missing the mark and the Pharisees are missing the mark as well. And it's this combination of, well, I just made the bullseye. Yeah, but you didn't even get the point. And I have to caution us and I have to caution myself is maybe I do it exactly right. Maybe I go through the motions perfectly. But am I really just missing the target? Luke 15, verse 3. Then Jesus told them a parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What's going on here? The sheep owner is loaded. No one had 100 sheep. Okay, this guy is rolling in the money. Average uh, uh, like sheep ownage would have been like 7 to 12 sheep. Okay, so this guy, he's got it. So to the average person sitting there, losing one sheep represented what? Like a tenth of their income. This is huge. What can you do with sheep? You can shear them. You can breed them. You can eat them. You can do all kinds of things with sheep. They are a force to... They're your, your lawn care in, in ancient uh, Israel. <laughs> For those two sprouts of grass that pop up in the desert. But uh, they, they are everything for you, and they do so much. And so to think about it that way is, this is, I always as a teenager got so mad. What if the 99 are getting left out? What if a wolf comes? You just went traipsing off into the wilderness looking for one stupid sheep that got himself into trouble. But the 99, you left the whole 99. No, 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 no. That one represents like so much. It represents possibility. It represents the difference between making it through bad seasons and, and, and having a year of bounty and surplus. It represents everything to the shepherd. Even though he's got a hundred of them, it still represents a huge amount of money, a huge amount of importance, and a huge amount of potential. So that sheep is so special, the owner will stop at nothing to search for it because it's important and because it's valuable. So I ask again, who is worse off? The person who knows they are lost and are looking for answers, the person who is lost and thinks they are found. The Pharisees are thinking sheep should have never wandered off. The shepherd should have let a lion eat it. The tax collector is thinking how much money would I have made off that sheep that's got lost? Somebody else in the room, maybe, just maybe, might have been thinking, what an amazing shepherd to go after that sheep. 
When I used to think about those sheep, the 99, I was like, that's so silly. But here's the difference. The 99 don't own the one. Those 99 other sheep don't own that one. And what do I think about that? Think about this. Do you guys get amber alerts on your phone? Right? What do you do when you get an amber alert? Do you get in your car and go try to find them? No, you don't. That'd be kind of interesting, exciting, but uh, we don't do that. What we do is we maybe stop, pray for the kid, our heart sinks, and go about our day. What if it's your kid on the Amber Alert? Hmm, right? You will stop at nothing to search that out. Does it matter if you had 99 other kids? You see the difference? When it's somebody else's thing... The lost kid, I, my heart breaks for you. Heart breaks. But it's not the life imperative of when it's your own. And so that is the attitude that the shepherd's taking, and that's the attitude that Jesus is trying to say, listen, listen, that's what God has for you, that if you are lost, he will, it's an amber alert, he will stop at nothing to find you. That is what's going on here in this scripture. That's what's going on here in this moment. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and God prepared in advance for us to do. We were created in such an intimate fashion as children of God that he treats us as his own, that he treats us, that he loves us, he cares for us, he has designed us for a purpose, and we are made by him. That is totally different and some sheep somewhere, somebody else owning it, and somebody else might take a financial hit from it. It is a deep-seated, intimate relationship. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I guess that's the answer to the question is, they're both lost. And I don't think one's worse off than the other. Lost is lost, whether you know it or not. But here's the deal. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it's not just the, the sheep that are in the pen. They're still messy. They still stink. They still have to be sheared. They still have to be fed. They still have to be uh, cared for. They still have all those issues and problems. The one that goes away, he's still messy. He still stinks. He still has to be shorn. He still has all those issues that the 99 have. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Until the Pharisees get that, they'll never figure out they were just as lost as the rest of the sinners. And as a church kid who grew up, until I figure that out, and maybe until you figure that out, there's going to be a huge problem in your faith. Your faith won't be taken as seriously as it has to be. Until we realize that we're just as messy and stink just as bad as the sheep that wander away, we can't ever be who God has called us to be, which is wonderful news. Which is wonderful news. It is the people that are created in God's image. Sorry, Ephesians 
had it there. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which we, God prepared in advance for us to do. How amazing is that, that God has a plan for us, that God has a plan for these kids, that God has a plan for all of us, that we're created in, in that, in his workmanship. That means he took time on us, and he has something planned for us, specifically for us, for the lost sheep and for the 99 that are there. This is great news to me, but it's a great equalizer. Because I think all, sometimes I can get caught up in our, our church world, and we come and do this thing, and we stay here, and we think, oh, well, we got this under control. And it's those people out there that are the problem. What is Jesus saying here? <laughs> you all are messy. We all stink. We all are lost and need to be found. We come to realize that, that where we have been and who we are and who we can be in Christ. Where we have been... I've been lost. I remember significant moments of lostness. I remember my dad at an early age telling me his story of when he felt the most lost. And if you share those moments, it's a great thing to share with your kids of how you were found out of those lostness. Sometimes you're like, I don't know how to share my faith with my child. I don't know how to talk to them about, about God at all. But just to say, okay, this is where I found, where God found me. This was going on in my life. Might want to leave out some of the details. But this was going here, this was going there, and it was rough. But then I was found. Simple personal stories of, of how you developed, how you were found, can have the greatest impact. It's not just taking them to a speaker or coming to church or anything. It's your relationship with your child, telling them your story. Where have we been? We've been lost. Who are we? We are all people who miss the mark, for all have sinned. Which we put sin as this big thing of sinner. Angry preacher, sinner. But what it means is to miss the mark, to miss what God has planned for us, to be errant, to shoot for the middle and go, I remember one time, my dad knows where I'm going with this story. I got a bow and arrow. For my for her birthday, I think, and so we set up some hay bales in the backyard, and and, I'm, and we had this huge privacy fence. So we're like, ah, oh, got hay bales, privacy fence, good to go. I'm out there, so much fun, being a little crazy because it's me. Miss it, that arrow finds the slit in between the privacy fence. About took that neighbor about 15 seconds to uh, get the arrow and deliver it promptly to my father and express his distress over the situation. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't shoot many arrows into that hay bale anymore, but I missed the mark. And what had missed the mark, it caused all kinds of issues. If his toddler would have been running back there, it could have caused really bad issues, right? The, the, the end of that is we would never know. You're aiming for something, you miss it. We all have done it. That's who we are. But who can we be? We can be new creations with a hope and future in God. And that's my prayer today, that we can find who we are in God. It's not something that we just go, oh, I got it now. It's like, God, will you find me this morning? Well, I have the feeling and the presence and the, the surety that I am found in you, God. 
Because I'm tired of being lost. I don't care how old you are. I don't care who you are and what you've been through and how long you've come to church. But do you still feel lost? Because this morning can be a morning where you can be found. And that's my prayer for us and prayer for my kids and prayer for this whole church family. Is that we'd experience what it's like to be found in Jesus. If that's you today, I ask you just to pray this simple prayer with me. God, I know I'm lost and I want to be found. Jesus, will you come into my life and take me from a person who misses the mark to one who hits it with you? God, I ask you to transform us into people who hit the mark. God, thank you for reminding me this week that we all have missed it. We all smell. We all are messy. But God, thank you for cleaning us in you. Thank you for making us new. Thank you for all the wonderful plans that you have for us. Thank you for not forgetting us. Thank you that you are not a God who says, ah, that dumb sheep, he can go off by himself. God, I am in awe that you would chase me, that you would find me, that you would throw me on your shoulders and hold me. So, Daddy, this morning, we just ask you to pick us up. Return us to the fold. Start this amazing life that you have for us. Lord, I thank you for all that you're doing in these people's lives. I thank you for the moments like these where we can reflect and think about I once was lost, but now I am found. Amen. Have a fabulous week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you all the days of your life. You are dismissed.